listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Now grab your Bible and go to two places for me. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, and then go to Hebrews uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 15, and then Hebrews chapter 2. And while you are turning there, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, we have prayer here on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. We have it every other Saturday. It's just for an hour. It's from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. It's a wonderful time in the presence of God. I can't think of a better way to start your Saturday than for for you to join us for prayer here from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Our next Saturday morning prayer, because we do it every other week, our next Saturday morning prayer meeting together will be next Saturday. Everybody say next Saturday. All right, so be sure to be here next Saturday, 9 a.m. We pray for an hour, powerful time. And we're going to have a, we've had incredible testimonies already from some things that God has done as we come together because he said, if you, two of you touch and agree, I will do that for you. Where two or three are gathered, I will be in the middle of you. All right, and so we want you to be a part of that. Also, if you want to know more about Hope Unlimited or maybe you've been coming for a while and you want to get connected even deeper, you need to attend our Next Steps class. That happens next Sunday immediately after service. We want you to be a part of that as well. Are you all ready to get in the work? Can we talk about Jesus this morning? Let's try this all over. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. Are you ready to talk about Jesus this morning? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Jansen. That's good, brother. And then we're going to look at Hebrews uh, chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians 15 and then Hebrews chapter number 2. This is some of the most beautiful, compelling language you'll ever read anywhere. Anywhere. 1 Corinthians 15. Records words along these lines. I want to start in verse number 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not, we get it, Paul. (laughs) Paul, we got you. The first four times you said it, we got it. But he continues. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The King James says, we are of all, if only we have hope, then we are of all people most miserable. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, glory to God, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, you better hear me now, for as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those that belong to Christ, and then comes the end, or then comes the completion, or then comes everybody else. When he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he's destroyed every ruler and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last, I need somebody to help me preach this, my God. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. Paul is a bit wordy, if you hadn't figured that out. Imagine Paul with Facebook, Jesus Christ. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself. All, this, is what Paul, this is the vision Paul is casting. All things will be brought under subjection to Jesus. Right? Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. All things will be brought into subjection under Jesus. And then Jesus will take that kingdom and bring it back and present it to the Father. That's what he's saying. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him. So that God may be all in all. Can I get a witness from somebody? Jump over to verse 50. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this, per- Listen to this. For this perishable body must put on imperishability there's a better way to say that Paul I'm certain of it if you'd have worked a little harder could have said that a little easier and this mortal body will put on immortality when this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality then the saying that is written will be fulfilled death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ amen and amen and amen now Flip over to Hebrews chapter 2, where it's going to say the same thing in a much easier way. Much easier way. Some people believe that a woman wrote Hebrews. Right? (laughs) Agree. That's why there's no name on it, because women would have to have been anonymous to write the books in the ancient world. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm saying that's what some people think. But if a woman did write this, she is much easier to read than Paul. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 5. Now, God did not subject the world about which we're speaking to angels. But someone testified somewhere. What are human beings that you're mindful of them? Or mortals that you care for them? He's quoting Psalm 8. You've made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with the glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Watch this. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everybody. 
Amen. I, I know it's Easter, and at Easter, you have to talk about Easter. But before we talk about Easter, I want to talk about how we talk about Easter. Before we talk about Easter, I want to talk about how in the past we have talked about Easter. Now, we're trained, we're, we're wired to believe that when we speak of God, we have to speak of him in ways that are truthful. We have to speak of him in ways that are true, right? And that, that, that's, that is true. But we envision truth as a destination, a place that you've arrived. That way, when you have decided that you have arrived at the truth, you can wag your finger at everybody that has not arrived at the same truth that you've arrived to. We're very confident that we are right and everybody else is wrong. A little too confident. Not a little too confident. Way too confident. Right? Y'all going to help me this morning or no? When we speak of God, yes, we have to speak of God in ways that are true. But the early church believed that when we talk about God, it's not enough to just talk about God in ways that are true. You also have to speak about God in ways that are good. And if you are speaking about God in ways that are not good, then what you are saying about God is not true or good. You hearing what I'm saying? They also believe that not only do you have to speak about God in ways that are true and in ways that are good, you also have to speak about God in ways that are beautiful. And if the way that we are talking about God is not beautiful, then we are not talking about God rightly. Because God, oh, I feel that. God is infinite beauty. God is ultimate goodness. God is ultimate truth. And if we speak of him in ways that do not capture just how beautiful he is, then we are not talking about the God of the Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have to talk about God in these ways. It's not enough just to say that we are true. Because if what you were saying about him is not all so beautiful, then it is not true. And the reason this is important is because typically when we talk about Easter, we talk about God in ways that are very ugly. And our ugly theology has created ugly Christians. I help myself. Who behave in ugly ways. And have an ugly reputation. And treat people with an ugly manner. Because we have an ugly God. It's awfully quiet in this Episcopalian church this morning. When we speak of God, if we're not speaking of him in ways that are both beautiful and good, then what we are saying about him is not true either. All right? Let me show you kind of how we preach Easter. This is how we've preached Easter over the years. There's a couple of different ways that we get at this. Number one, when we talk about God, we talk about God as a judge in a courtroom. And you're on trial. Right? You're a criminal. Turn me up a little bit, Bryson, if you would. You're a criminal. And you're standing before a judge. And he's... Just because he's just and right and holy and all of these things, he's got to judge you. He's got to punish you. And Jesus is your attorney. Right? And Satan 
is the prosecutor and Satan and Jesus are arguing on your behalf and you don't know which one's winning day by day. And the Holy Spirit is the bailiff. We have to be fully Trinitarian. (laughs) And there's a judge that is waiting to judge you that has to judge you, and Jesus is the defense attorney saying, no, 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 please, 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 no, 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 stop, 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 stop. So what God the fault, what God the judge wants, and what Jesus the attorney wants are two different things. Right? God is vehemently angry, but Jesus is loving and kind and merciful, and he is keeping the judge at bay as best as he can. Because we read those stories in the Old Testament where he's killing everybody left and right and he's telling Saul, I want you to go murder a bunch of babies. And he's telling Noah, I'm going to flood all the... We're gonna, we, we read these stories and we get these visions of God that are less than beautiful and less than good and because they're not beautiful and because they're not good, they are also not true. I'm not saying the Old Testament stories are not true. Simmer all the way down. I'm saying the way we read those stories needs help. Yes, they are true. Yes, they are true, but we have to read those properly. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, that's the problem with this generation, is you don't want a God that kills people. And I said, no, that's the problem with your generation, is you want a God that does. What does that say about you? We want a God that loves me and hates everybody that I hate. We want a God that loves me and is on my side and will wipe you out of the way as long as it means protecting me. I told you this story a couple of weeks ago. There were some storms. I'm from Alabama. Roll Tide. There were some storms in Alabama a couple of weeks ago that went through and it missed one city. And there was a guy posting on Facebook, look at what God did. We prayed and God moved it. Yeah, but it killed other people. But we don't care. It didn't touch us. And that's our God. Right? So that's one level, that's one level of perversion. That God is this judge who's got, he just, he's bound by something outside of himself. He's bound by a rule that's bigger than him. And he's got to judge you. He got to kill you. And Jesus is pleading your case. We even have songs about that. Y'all remember singing those songs? Thinking, oh God, I'm in the courtroom and I don't even know what I did. I remember being nine years old thinking, what is happening? The worst thing I did is I stole some bubble gum. Right? That's one level of perversion. But we have this beautiful way of making it even worse. If that's not bad enough. Because one of the ways that we talk about Easter is God as a judge. And God is a judge, but not in the way that you think he's a judge. If you're using the Supreme Court of the United States as a filter to understand God, that's a bad idea. Then we take it even a step further and we say, it's not that God's a judge. God's actually a father. But he's a murderous father. He's a raging father with many different sides. And you never know what he's going to be like when he wakes up. 
Forget the fact that the Bible says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Forget the fact that the Bible says that there is no shadow of turning in him. The scripture says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So now we have, yeah, God's a father, but he's this rageaholic who does not correct his kids. He destroys his kids. I'm getting to Easter. Hang on. I know what I'm doing. He doesn't correct his kids. He destroys them. You're four years old and still a cookie. You don't get put in timeout. You get thrown in the oven. It's called hyperbole. Exaggeration. It's a preacher trick. But because God is this raging father, Jesus is our older brother. It's like growing up in an alcoholic home. Dad came home drunk and is punching everything he sees. And before he hits us, Jesus steps in and absorbs it for us. This is how we have preached the cross. This is how we have preached Easter. That God was so angry, he just had to kill something. He had to kill somebody. And it was going to be us. But instead, Jesus stepped in at the last minute. And now God has gotten all that off his chest. And whew, he's not mad anymore. That's the vision of God that we have. He said, well, brother, that's true. No, it's not. Because it's not good, nor is it beautiful, nor is it true. Tell me that's not how we've preached. We have, listen, this is how we have preached Jesus and this is how we have preached God. God and Jesus are two completely different people, which is a heretical statement, by the way. God and Jesus are two different people. God is vehemently, cosmically angry and Jesus is loving and kind and tender and he's always trying to calm God down. He's the compassionate mother trying to talk dad off the ledge. That's what I have to do to my wife. When she gets mad at the kids, I have to stand in the background and go. <laughs> she ain't in here. She's in the kids building nothing. <laughs> Be sure not to use that analogy in the second service. Right. But that's what we think Jesus is doing for us. He's looking at God going. <laughs> Maybe. Um, just count to ten. Take a deep knee bend. Calm down. That's how we've preached. I heard a preacher say this one time. That God sent Jesus. Listen, I want you to hear how perverse this is. God sent Jesus to save us from himself. That God had to kill somebody. Because he's out of control. And we were in the bullseye. And right before he pulled the trigger, Jesus steps in. And so finally, when God, when God's bloodthirsty self was satisfied, now he's fine. Now he's a father. 
that is not what Easter is about. And that is not what the gospel is about. And that is for sure not who your God is. When the Bible talks about us being in debt to sin, it does not mean that we are in debt to God. You are not. The Bible does not speak of you as a criminal in a courtroom. The Bible speaks of you as a slave, not to God, but to sin and death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When Jesus said, I gave my life as a ransom for many, he does not mean I paid the ransom to God. We were not held in ransom to God. He means I paid the ransom that death was holding over you and I freed you from it. Come on, somebody. That's what Easter means. Jesus did not rescue us from God. God in Christ rescued us from sin and death. That's what the gospel is. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Are you hearing me? I want you to wrap your mind around this idea. Nothing happens to God. God happens to things. You with me? For example, when Jesus was baptized, the water did not make Jesus holy. Jesus made the water holy for me and you. When Jesus went into the wilderness, the wilderness did not make him sinless. Jesus made the wilderness the place where me and you could be purified. Nothing happens to God. God happens to all things. So when God in Christ died, when Jesus died, death did not happen to Jesus. I need somebody to help me preach this. Jesus happened to death. And now death no longer has its hold on us. That is the message of Easter. That by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. I figure somebody would think it's worthy to give him a holly, followed by a hallelujah, because he tasted Jesus did not die, so you would not have to. Because God was on the verge of killing you. When Jesus died, Jesus' death was the death of death. That's why he said, in the twinkling of an eye, death might look like it holds you temporarily. But because we all died with him, we will all follow him in his resurrection. That is the glorious hope. Are you hearing me this morning? And when we are resurrected, God's not going to do something in time. God is going to do something to time. God is going to transform all things and bring all of us back into himself. That is the message of Easter. It was the death of death. You hear this? You know why that's resonating with you? Because it's beautiful. And it's good. And it just happens to be true. That's the vision that Paul cast. That's the vision that Jesus cast. Away with thinking and talking about God in ways that are unworthy of him. Hear what I'm saying? We have completely missed what Easter means. It is not that Jesus, that God killed Jesus for us so he didn't have to kill us. It was that God gave himself to defeat death on our behalf. And defeat sin on our behalf. 
heard one preacher say it this way, because whenever we talk about dying and death, everybody thinks, oh, hmm, heaven. Heard one preacher say it like this. Heaven's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. Did you see what he did there? We've been delivered from the bondage and the corruption and the decay of this world because of Jesus. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is a sin. Strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. You have to read the Bible in a completely different... Uh, let, let me give you this, and I'll, and I'll let you go. Do you know what David's... Because Hebrews quotes Psalm 8. Do you know what David's last words were? I think I've preached this here. I don't know if I've preached this here. No, I haven't. David's last words. First of all, I love the Bible. I love the fact that the Bible does not paint us a beautiful picture of a lot of superheroes. Everybody in the Bible? Problems. Except Jesus. Problems. Like, oh, I want to be like Paul. Paul used to kill people. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> I want to be like Peter. Problems. We even call him Saint Peter. You go to Paris and you go to Notre Dame and they have these, these statues on the front of, of this beautiful Catholic cathedral. Who's up there? Peter. And I look at him and everybody's like, oh, Saint Peter. I'm like, I feel you. You can make it. I can make it. <laughs> David, man after God's own heart. You know what David's last words were before he died? He calls his son in. And he tells his son, he says, listen, I promised God that I would not kill. And then he names the people. And he says, but when I die, you haven't made God that promise. So I want you to go kill him. you David like, nope, I'm going to honor God I'm going to obey God but I'm going to work around the system there's a loophole I found it but you know what Jesus last words were father forgive them for they don't know what David died with vengeance in his mouth but Jesus died with forgiveness in his mouth that is the story of Easter hear what I'm saying we have preached this vision of God that is not God at all. I was talking to, I had an atheist come up to me. I got an atheist friend. And we started a, he started a conversation, started talking. He goes, I don't believe in God. I said, well, all right. Tell me a little bit about what you mean because chances are I don't believe in that God either. But I do believe in a God that in Christ laid down his life for all of us so he could rescue us and reunite him with himself. Right? I could give you some stuff right now that mess with you, but I won't. I want you to enjoy Easter lunch. By the grace of God, he tasted death for all of us. Jesus' death was the death of death. And the ransom he paid was not to God because God was holding us hostage. The ransom he paid was to death because death was holding us hostage. And now we've been bought. We've been redeemed. You hear what I'm saying? Stand up on your feet.
when we when we speak of God let me let me say it this way I'm going to preach a sermon on this topic coming up so you want to be here for that but when I talk about God as being true everybody resonates with that yes that's the truth brother because the Bible said. That's not what the Bible said. That's what you said the Bible said. Just because you said the Bible said that does not mean the Bible actually says that. What you said the Bible said and what the Bible said, two different things. That's the truth, brother. You know what we mean when we say that? When we say, that's the truth. This is what we mean when we say that. You just confirmed everything I already think. So I like it. That's the truth, brother. I already thought that and you agreed with me. That's right. We buddies. But if it is not good, and when we talk about God being good, we can only mean good in the sense that you and I understand good. God cannot be cruel and us still call that good. Good means good. It doesn't mean anything other than that. His ways are higher than our ways, but they're not contrary to our ways. I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to share this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use the names to protect the innocent. But I was having a conversation with our leadership team. Someone on our leadership team shared a story about a lady who lost her husband, and she was grappling with the fact that when she dies and goes to heaven she's excited about seeing her husband again and she was wrestling with I mean that's that's what I'm really looking forward to I should probably be looking forward to seeing Jesus and I am looking forward to seeing Jesus of course but I can't wait to see my husband again and this language came out so maybe God took him to purify my heart that's not good and that can't be made to mean good and because it's not good that's not God not only do we speak of God in ways that are true and ways that are good we speak of God in ways that are beautiful there's an old quote I won't tell you who said it but there's an old quote that says this beauty will save the world beauty of who God is in Christ that is what will save the world and we're walking around wondering why isn't the world following Jesus because ugly will not save the world and we only talk about him in ways that are ugly and in ways that are unworthy I sound like an old grandma using the word ugly don't I don't be ugly we only talk about him in ways that are ugly when you believe that God is good and beautiful, you will treat people different. You will love people different. You will forgive people different. When you believe that God is true and good and beautiful, you will treat your wife, your husband different. You'll treat your kids different. You'll treat everybody in your world different. Why? Because beauty changes us. And the beauty of who God is changes us. Jesus died. 
to set us free from death. Death did not happen to him. He happened to death. So up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his and our foes. Lift those hands up to him. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what Easter means to us. Emily, will you, in my bag right there, my cell phone is in that back pocket right there. I want to read y'all something real quick. I'm going to read you this. The cross is not the appeasement of an angry and retributive God. The cross is not where Jesus saves us from God. The cross is where Jesus reveals God as our Savior. The cross, I feel that when I said it. The cross is not what God inflicts upon Jesus in order to forgive us. But it's what God in Christ endures as he forgives us. I'm about to throw something. Y'all better duck in the back row. The cross is where the sin of the world coalesced into a hideous singularity so that it might be forgiven in mass. The cross is where the world violently sinned its sins in the body of the Son of God. And where he absorbed it all, praying, Father, forgive them. The cross is both ugly and beautiful. It's as ugly as human sin and as beautiful as divine love. But in the end, love and beauty win. (laughs) Glory to God! Lift those hands to the Lord one more time. Jesus, what a beautiful Savior. We thank you. We thank you and we celebrate you today. We thank you for your cross. We thank you for everything that this means for us. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for forgiveness. All we know to say is thank you. Thank you for freedom from death, from sin, from bondage, from fear. Thank you. Thank you that your perfect love cast out all of our fear because fear is tormenting. We love you today. I just want somebody to tell them right now, thank you. Thank you. We celebrate you today. We celebrate you. You're risen indeed. Just like the angel said. You're risen indeed. He is not here. For he is risen. Just as the Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.